This morning, I feel that mainly I might be preaching to the choir, but I will preach to the choir. Hebrews chapter 10, and our verses are going to be 24 to 34, and there still might be some notes on your right over there on the counter. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 34. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaken our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of the judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy in the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And as regarded as unclean, the blood of the covenant which he has sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you your, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Father, we do give you the glory and the praise, and we sing with gratitude from our hearts for this wonderful redemption and salvation that we have in you, that you have saved us, Lord, from our sin and saved us to glory. And now we pray that we would have hearts and ears and minds that that listen, that understand, that pay attention, that digest and seek to obey your word. And we pray for those that can't be with us this morning because of health reasons that you would give them strength and grace and your healing, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. For Christ's sake, amen. Why are you here? That's the question we asked last week. Why are you here? And I hope it's to be a provocateur. I hope you're here because you want to be an agent that provokes people. I can remember years ago, my brother used to design superheroes on the computer. And then there was a game that you could design the superhero or a supervillain and, and put them into the game and actually play them. And he, he was very good at it. And he had one character named Provocateur, and I, I had no idea, uh, Provocateur or something like that he called him. I had no idea what that meant or what the power was. And he had to tell me, and it was the ability to get... You speak in such a way that you provoke somebody to do something. But he had it as a power of a supervillain that this person could speak and by their speaking 
cause you to do maybe that which you didn't want to do. In a true sense, this passage this morning is saying you should be at church in order to be a godly provocateur, to be somebody that is going to provoke others in a godly way. That's why we should be here. If you look at verse 24, that's what it says. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. In this passage that we're looking at, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 39, its main idea is that since Jesus Christ has crushed and covered and cleansed you of your sin, you don't float, but you go forward in faith, even through difficulty, all the way until you get to heaven. In order to do that, there's a number of resolutions that we need to make. We we don't just say, thank you, Lord, I'm I'm so grateful that you died on the cross and you covered and cleansed and crushed all my sin, thank you, and now I'm just going to coast. But rather, thank you, Lord, that you covered and cleansed and crushed all my sin, I'm going to run forward in faith. How do we do that? Well, there's at least... I think four, at least four resolutions in this passage. And we said, first of all, that you seek to know God. And you saw that in verse 22. Let us draw near to God. You want to know him, to worship him, to, to give him the glory, to taste God and see that he's good. You want to experience him in a biblical way. The second resolution we said is that you cling on to Christ and his gospel. And you see that in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And then this morning, we're going to look at this third resolution. And that is give your attention to being a godly provocateur. That word can be, and often uses in a bad sense, there can be an enemy provocateur. Maybe this morning you woke up and you were provoking your family, to do bad things. Often it can be when we come to church and we're getting ready in the morning, there can be temptation, unlike any other day. And we can provoke, if we're not careful, one another to do sinful things. This passage here is saying we need to provoke one another to do good things. In fact, when you look at this passage, it's very intense. That's one of the reasons why I use the word provoke, provocateur. It's a very intense, powerful word. But in this passage here, you have this preposition in Greek, kata, K-A-T-A, basically. And it's joined together with all main verb here. When it says, let us consider, it's a word to think with that Greek preposition kata, and that preposition is used at least four times in this passage. And that preposition, when it's tied in front, joined together with a verb, usually it makes that verb more intense. And even the preposition kata itself can mean against, either down according to or against. And here in this passage, it's a, an intensifier, and you have it used four times. And so that's why I'm saying God wants you, as a Christian, not to be an ungodly provoker, but to be a godly provoker. Provoke somebody in a godly way. And even to think deeply 
how, how you can do that. But, but not only that, when you look at this passage, it has this triad of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. You see, in verse 22, it talks about faith, full assurance of hope. Verse 23, I mean, full assurance of faith. Verse 23 talks about hope. Verse 24 talks about love. And then you'll see, really, as we go down throughout this passage, it talks even more about faith. And verse 38 and 39, and then all of chapter 11 is about faith. So there is, in this passage, where we've reached a point in this sermon, Hebrews chapter 13 says it's a word of exhortation, it's a sermon, to where the foundation's been laid. Christ died on the cross. He is the propitiation for our sin. That means he satisfied the wrath of God, crushed our sin, covered our sin, cleansed our sin if we've had faith in him. We continue to plow ahead through difficult times by faith and hope to love. And we see this in this passage. Now, first, we want to ask, what is this exhortation? So the third resolution, again, this, these are resolutions. It's not you, the, the writer, saying, let us do this. He's not just saying you do this. He's saying, let us together, as one body, do this. Together, as one body, we need to give our attention to provoking one another, to being a godly provocateur. What is this exhortation? We give deliberate, deliberate thought on how we can stimulate one another to love and to follow that up through doing good deeds. Now look at verse 24 with me, and it says, let us consider. Again, this is a very intense word. Uh, give your attention to, think deeply about, figure out. And we should be doing this, the grammar of the word is we should be doing this all the time. We should be deep thinkers, not mainly or are necessarily on the intricacies of super lapsarianism or the exact timing of the rapture, but rather how can you speak and fellowship with a person at church to help them to be more like Jesus? That's what this passage is saying. That's what verse 24 is saying. Think deeply about how to do this certain action to spur others on to love and good deeds. Deliberate, focused thought. Now, notice there's not a period. For example, this verse is not saying, consider how you can help others to love one another and then to prove that by doing good deeds. I want you to think deeply about it, period. That is, you may be thinking this morning or throughout the week, maybe you take out a sheet of paper. I have ten action steps on what I can do to help others love and do good deeds. And then you take that sheet of paper, and then what do you do with it? You put it in your Bible. Praise God, you made a list. That's awesome. That's not what this passage is saying. It's not saying that your duty is to think, and then it's done. The idea of consider deeply to spur one another 
to love and good deeds is you're going to figure out how you can help and actually do follow what you've figured out to do to help these beloved people be more like Jesus, right? If you look at verse 24, it says how to stimulate, how to spur one another to love and good deeds. Love is a a glad sacrifice that you make for others. Good deeds is you're going to do something that's going to benefit somebody. This good deeds, it flows from this love. This is a one another. You're going to deliberately think, not just in an esoteric, abstract way, but in a practical way, how can I help this brother or sister? Not just how can I love them. Is that what the passage says? No, that's that. This passage is not saying you love one another. The Bible does say we should love one another. This passage is saying how can you need to figure out how you can help me to love, not you, but how you can be more loving toward others. Right? This passage is not saying to you or to me, love one another. This passage is saying, how can I help Brett? How can I help my wife to love you better? It's certainly not saying, like, I I cannot, based upon this passage, go to Lisa and say, Lisa, I want to help you to love me better. Okay? That's not what this passage is saying. I I can't use this passage in this way. But I could go to Lisa and say, Lisa, I I want to help you to love Norico better. And to not just do it by words from your mouth, but to do it by concrete action. And to be men and women, even young men and women, to figure out basically then, how can I help people be like Jesus, because there was nobody that loved and nobody that proved how he loved, because Jesus laid down his life for us. There's nobody that showed forth their love by good deeds like Jesus. So this passage then is demanding that you and I, as a body, how can I provoke somebody in, in such a way, stimulate, spur them on, that they can become more like Jesus? Keep looking at verse 24. It says to, to stimulate. Maybe you don't think this way. I, I do. When I think of stimulate, then I think of coffee. I, I get up in the morning, can ask my kids. One of the first things I do is I make coffee, and then I usually have two cups. Just to get me going, have two cups. Because it's that caffeine. That I, I try not to drink decaffeinated coffee. Okay, I drink caffeinated coffee because I want to be stimulated. I want to be provoked. It's a strong word, this work, this word provoked. It means stimulation. It's used, I think it's Acts 15.39 in a bad way. Oftentimes the word's used in a bad way. Like you might have a dog that, that irritates you. Things that, that are irritating. It, it bugs you. Ah. Just and it spurs me, it provokes me in a bad way. A very intense emotion it caused to rise up inside of me. It's the same word that's used here. But here it's used in a good way. You could say inflame, uh, spark, quicken, inspire. 
would be a, a possible translation, but usually versions go from from stimulate to spur to provoke. I like the idea of provoke because it's it's very intense. Provoke somebody. How can I help another person not to be more loving to me, but to be more loving to others and, and to prove that not, not just by having them pray, which they should do, but where they actually make sacrificial deeds for that person. It, it's really a very unique command in the New, in the New Testament. I, I wish it said, help people to love me better. But that, that's not the idea. Help people to be like Jesus by loving others better and to show that by laying down their lives for other people. In that sense, then we meet our, our purpose is to exalt God by edification, by evangelism, but also by provoking one another with godly provoking uh, to inspire others. I, I think inspire is fine, but it, it's it's maybe a little bit soft. <laughs> we seek to really light a flame in the hearts of other believers to help them get excited about, I'm going to love this person even if it costs me my life. I, I'm going to seek to to love them. That's the one of the purposes why you come together as a body of Christ. Now the question is then practically how do we do this? How do we work this out? What are the means to do this? I, I think I could say what, what first came to my mind was I, I want to pray for me that, that I could do that, that God would give me the strength. I want to pray for others. I want to pray for you that you can do that. I want to be in the word. I want to walk in the spirit. And, and as I walk in the spirit, then God's going to give me the strength to be able to help others. I myself want to be an example of love and good deeds. That's what I would have came up with, but this text itself, if you look at verse 25, it gives two ways of how to do this, both negatively and positively. You see in verse 25 where it says, not forsaking, and then, but instead, but rather encouraging, that's the positive. So it's going to give us a negative and a positive, what we should not do and what we should do. These are what says forsaking, encouraging. These are adverbial participles. They, they are giving the specific, objective, textual, God-revealed means in order to stimulate and to provoke each other to do good and not to do bad. So first, negatively. Do not forsake assembling together for worship, like is the habit, or you can say, as is the custom of some. And apparently, don't, don't forget the context of this passage, verse 32, 33, and 34. These believers, this body of Christ, they were being persecuted. They were being mistreated to the point where some of them were 
put in prison, and then others had their property seized from them. And so they are really in a difficult place. And it seems that there could have been a temptation not only maybe to back away from their commitment to Christ, but just simply to stop meeting. <laughs> I, I, I don't want my property stolen. I don't want to go to prison. I believe in Jesus. Jesus died for me. I'm going to have home church. I'm going to have house church. I'm saved. Maybe I should be sure I'm saved by going back to the Jewish temple and offering more sacrifices. This is their temptation. It's a real temptation, real persecution. Not that somebody made fun of them. Being put in prison, they go to visit people in prison. Maybe while they're gone, they're robbed. It says in verse 34 that their property was seized. Now here in verse 35, where it says, not forsaking your own assembling together. Assembling together is one word in the Greek New Testament. And it's this idea, it, we get the, it's from the Hebrew word synagogue. It's almost the same word in Greek, sunu, gone, gain. But it has a preposition on the front of it, epi. It makes it, again, it makes it a little bit more intense when the Greek does that. And so here it's the idea is that don't forsake this biblical idea of gathering together in a specific location, uh, personally, for, for, for worship. That's the background of this word of assembling together. So then, if you want to be a godly provocateur and go forward in the faith and not falter, then it can be really helpful that you don't give up going to church. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, you don't give up a public assembly of the saints. And it says here that, verse 25, apparently some don't know if it was this church itself. You know, maybe it wasn't. Maybe they were in prison because they, they weren't. But there were some, perhaps some of them, but perhaps not. There were some that, that were giving that up. And in context, the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, Jesus Christ, he died in the cross. So all those who have trusted him, their sin is covered, cleansed, and crushed. Now, you'll be tempted to just drift away from that. And if you drift away, it's possible that you could desert Christ. You could falter and fall and forsake him. What is very, very helpful for you not to do that is to resolve to keep meeting together to provoke one another, to inspire, to, to ignite fire in one another, to love each other. Even if it means having your property seized. Now, probably the Roman government didn't want them to meet. I would imagine we see that historically. Uh, countries and the state don't want Christians often to meet. It's true in Saudi Arabia today, I know for a fact, I know ministers that will go there from other countries and they will meet in a house, that's in Saudi Arabia, they will meet in a house for worship and in that house they meet in a room that's in another room. So there's like three or four doors inside the house. So 
you have a group of believers meeting together, having a very small church. I know in India, even to this day, in different states, not the whole government, but in different states, there can be persecution of believers if you meet. When I was there in India, a few different times, there was somebody that came to Christ out of a Hindu background, and their family did not want them to meet for church with believers. And so they themselves sometimes would come on Sunday, but then they would go to Bible study. They would go to the prayer meeting. They'd go to the women's meeting. They would go to other events that try to have Christian fellowship, seeking to follow Christ. And I think this is why in this passage it talks about faith. Again, as we come down, first it talks about faith in verse 22, but as we come down this passage in verse 38 and 39, it talks about faith, and then chapter 11 talks about faith. Why? It's hard to go to church if when you go to church, you could be put in prison. It's hard. (laughs) We haven't received that kind of persecution here yet, yet. Uh, somebody from Master Seminary, I believe, was arrested in Canada because they had church during COVID. It possibly could get worse here in the U.S. But these believers, they are, are told, if you don't want to fall away from Christ and go apostate, be careful that you keep having church. You, we need to provoke, ignite, stir one another up to seek, to keep loving one another, to show that by good deeds, even if times are difficult and dangerous. How is that done? That's done by faith. I think that's why faith is mentioned at the end of this passage and then all in chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, fix your eyes on Christ, who is the perfecter of our faith. Faith conquers fear and will seek fellowship in some way. Now, some clarifications. I think clearly this is what the passage is saying here. This assembling together is coming together as a body of Christ in person. But some clarifications. This does not mean that you advertise necessarily. So their churches and Soviet Union, you know, way back what? Is it 40 years ago now that the wall, that, you know, Soviet Union became more free? They shouldn't advertise back then. We're having church. Or Saudi Arabia. They they don't have a sign. This is the first persecuted church of Saudi Arabia. And we're meeting in in this house. That would be unwise. And that wouldn't be faith. That would probably be testing the Lord. Right? What about sickness and, and disease? Well, if you're sick, then, you know, stay home. This morning... I got up. I expected Lisa to be here. Of all sermons for Lisa not to be here, then she's not here on this sermon. So she said to me, Tom, I can't come to church this morning. I'm just really run down. I don't feel good. I feel bad. And I said, walk by faith, woman. You come to church right now. Is that what I said? No. (laughs) I didn't say that to her. I did not say, I I wouldn't say that to her. I said, well, yes, you've been running, you know, 
around in the serving her family and serving others a lot. And I, I think you're run down. Take a break. So we're not saying, I'm not saying, this passage is not saying that if you're sick, you come to church. <laughs> it's not saying that. Uh, Craig Rowland, can he come to church right now? Should Craig be in church right now? No, he, he, he should not. So we're not saying that. If you look at the passage, it says, as is the, the habit, that is the custom of some. What is sinful is when it becomes regular for a person, for a person that professes Christ, when it becomes their mode of operation not to come to church publicly to assemble together, that's when that could be sinful. That could be bad. Okay. Now, we have to talk about, I think, you know, using Zoom and the internet. I didn't seek to preach on this passage. It's just here. So I think I have to say something about using Zoom and the internet, at least for my own conscience sake. Zoom and the internet can be very helpful. It can be very helpful. But again, it can be sinful if doing church on Zoom takes the place of regularly meeting for worship. We need to regularly meet publicly, gathering together for worship. And even if there is something dangerous that's happening, whether it's um, the government government becomes anti-God, anti-church, or there's disease going around, I think this passage would say that we cannot indefinitely do Zoom over and over, you know, forever. There has to be a time. You know, throughout the course of history, has it usually been safe for the church to meet? Not usually. <laughs> Even with disease. I'm not saying that we all come together and everybody breathe and everybody. <laughs> you know, you know how they sometimes in the past they had the, the measles parties or the chicken pox party. I'm not saying you do that, but we have to be careful that we don't ever get into a habit, not just we, I mean the universal church, where we use electronic means as the substitute or the answer to do church. Because eventually then that could take over and that's how we do church. You know, to be honest, I love doing internet church. Every single time I preached during Zoom, I was just wearing uh, regular shorts. I never wore long pants one time. I didn't even wear shoes. It was like I was back in India. I I loved it. You know, and over here I had some coffee or somewhere, you know. It, it was it was great. Do you know Maybe you shouldn't put this on here. Do you know that sometimes you may have thought I was at my house? I wasn't always at my house. It's true. (laughs) Where was I? Maybe I'll tell you someday. But you know what was interesting? When we first started Zoom, now see some of you weren't even there. Okay, But when we first started doing Zoom, everybody, the whole church was on there. I could see everybody. And then week after week, this person, their screen would go dark. Then this screen would go dark. Then pretty soon, guess who I was preaching to? Myself. I just had a big picture of me. And I thought, I am so handsome. Wow. Let me just preach to myself the whole time. Because everybody else's screen was what? Black. And then afterwards, we really strived to have fellowship. But it's Really difficult. 
So I would say an application of this passage is, yes, we can do things like that, but you can't do that for an indefinite period of time. Because that's not true, biblical, rubbing together fellowship. And fellowship at times takes faith because it can be dangerous. Koinia, it can be dangerous at times. It has been historically. It doesn't mean that we want to tempt God. It doesn't mean that we don't take precautions, whether it's the government becomes tyrannical or whether because of disease or whatever it is. We want to be wise and take precautions, but we have to strive to let's meet together. I think scripture would say we want to see individuals striving to meet together for fellowship, even during difficult times. How do we do that? It takes wisdom and faith, maybe even some courage, but wisdom. Now, this passage then doesn't just give a, a negative. It also gives a positive, and it says encouraging one another. This word for encouraging, it's the word, the noun would be paraclete. The verb is parakaleo. The idea of coming along beside somebody. So it isn't, this provoking isn't, you know, hammering somebody. It's coming along beside somebody. Does a person need to be comforted? Do they need to be challenged to love somebody else? Even if it means they lay down their life. Again, if you look in this passage, look at verse 34. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted this is so hard for me. Accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. How could they accept joyfully? If somebody steals my property, I'm going to... It's going to be really hard for me. What well, says, because they knew they had a better possession and a lasting one. How did they know that? By faith, not just a head knowledge, but they were leaning into this truth that the best of what they had did not compare to what God had in store for them. And so they were willing to let it go. Even, I guess, if it meant their freedom, because it says, you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Tribulations, verse 33. So this encouraging is you tenderly, maybe firmly though, come along beside other believers and say what you need to say, spend time with them in such a way in order that they are comforted, are corrected, whatever they need in order to ignite this fire in them, you give to them prayerfully and with, with wisdom. And beloved, this is why we have Sunday school. This is why we have church. This is why there's a fellowship meal. This is why there's men's meeting, women's meeting, and prayer night on Wednesday night. It's to give you opportunities to provoke one another. And if some of you don't come, then ultimately you're going to be hurt. It's going to hurt your walk with Christ. Not that you have to come to every single meeting all the time, but I think in order to please God and to even be 
further inspired to see Christ and to be like Jesus, you need to be pursuing some of these meetings. You know, pick one meeting even once a month, more. You know, come to the prayer meeting, even just start with once a month. Prayer meeting is a good time. The amount of prayers that we have seen God answer is is very incredible. It's been amazing how many times God has clearly answered our prayers. We praise God for that. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but, and this conjunction in the Greek is Allah, it doesn't mean just B-U-T, but, it means, but instead, but rather, so instead of giving up meeting, you should meet even more, seeking to come along beside others to strengthen them. Now, basically what this passage is talking about is what? If you just step back and think about it, it's talking about discipling. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about helping others to know Jesus and follow Jesus. That's discipling. So we meet together to provoke one another to be disciples of Christ. And if you're not doing that, then you're not preparing yourself for the difficult days which probably lie ahead. And which this congregation was right in the midst of. This passage is calling for this intentional... Persevering, persevering in the midst of difficulty by faith through intentional, thought out, true fellowship. This passage, this text that God has written is saying that If you or I just come to church and then leave, we're not doing church. We're not doing Christianity. This passage is is saying more than that. It's saying that if, and I've had beloved friends, that their normal pattern was just their family having house church. That was their normal pattern. That is unbiblical and potentially dangerous for their faith. That's what this passage is saying. Negatively, it would say, don't get into that custom. Positively, it would say, you need to be face-to-face, seeking to encourage, to come along beside others, to help them to be like Jesus. That's why, again, it's a blessing and it can be a curse, the whole thing with electronics and and the internet. Praise God for podcasts. Praise God. There's so many preachers you you can listen to. But sometimes a temptation can be, well, I heard a sermon this week. I listened to MacArthur. I I, I listened to Piper. I I listened to, you know, I'm forgetting all the the, the preachers, whoever you want to say. Uh, Alistair, I'm I'm naming all the guys I listen to. (laughs) Alistair, uh, Big, who else? That's about it. You know, watch that. Yes, yeah. You know, all, all these different guys. 
that's not wrong, that's a blessing. But that doesn't take the place of assembling together. And once it takes the place of that, then that's that's sinful. That's not right. And it's not that I'm a better preacher than all these guys, so come and hear me. Certainly, I'm not. Jesus is the best preacher he is. But it's not a fan club. It's not competition, and it's not sports. God has designed that the local body, we meet together to worship God, to seek to come along beside one another, to to godly uh, provoking one, one another to be like Jesus. This is what we're called to do. This is what we need to be resolved to do in order to continue on in the faith. So why do we go, come to church to worship God? Yes. But to provoke each other, to stimulate one another. Like, if I, sometimes Lisa will make coffee for me. And when she makes coffee, I mean, she makes coffee. It's really strong. And she'll be like, Tom, I, I made you coffee. Sometimes when you make coffee, it's almost like, like mud water. You know, she, she doesn't say mud water. She's always very nice to me with her words. It, it's like water. When she makes coffee, it's strong. And I'm like, yes, give me the strong coffee. Why? I don't want wheat coffee. I want to be stimulated. That needs to be our, our fellowship, not with the loudness of voice, but with intentionality of seeking to, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? Now, what is instructive is, if you keep looking at verse 25, we see again the passage brings up eschatology. It's been bringing up eschatology more and more. I don't know if anybody's ever done it. Somebody needs to write uh, an article or preach a sermon or write a book on the eschatology of the book of Hebrews. Look at the end of verse 25. We do this all the more. We, we seek to be godly provocateurs. Join the resistance against the world and sin and Satan by being a godly provocateur of righteousness. One of the ways that you do this, it says we encouraging one another, but we do this all the more. As you see the day, it doesn't mean Sunday. <laughs> In context, the, the day is the day of the Lord. The more, all the more that you see Christ is going to return, even more than, therefore then, you should be seeking to gather together as a body, seeking to provoke one another to, to love and do these sacrificial good deeds. This is true biblical eschatology, which we've been pointing out through some of these sections in the book of, of Hebrews. True eschatology doesn't lead, true biblical eschatology doesn't lead you to say how many toes are on that statue in Daniel chapter 3. True biblical eschatology will lead you to Jesus is returning, so I should get busy with the work that I have to do. And maybe you would say, yes, uh, Tom, you, you do the work, you're the minister. And I would say, no, you're the minister, you do the work. That's what Ephesians 4.12 says, 4.12 and 13. The pastors, the elders, we equip you, and then we all do the work. All of us together do the work. That is, the work is that we seek to disciple and minister to one another. And we do that because we see that Jesus is returning. That Jesus is returning doesn't mean that we 
ignore one another or ignore the world. It means that we become, with biblical wisdom, bolder for Christ. More loving toward one another for Christ. Jesus is going to return. Therefore, what I am I going to do? I'm going to help you to be more like Jesus. And you're going to seek, because Christ had come back today, you're going to seek to help me to be more like Jesus. And that's what coming together, one of the purposes why we come together is for that. Jesus is returning. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. I think it's probably post-tribulational, pre-millennial. That's what I think the Bible teaches about eschatology. But you know what? In one sense, I don't care. What I do know is that Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. And he's going to reign forever and forever and forever. And no eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has in store for those that love him. Therefore, we're going to assemble together to worship him. We're going to encourage one another to be like Jesus. And then out of that, throughout our lives, we do evangelism. And that's what this passage is teaching you and I this morning. Sharing the gospel and sharing over the gospel together is a means of grace to help us to continue on in the faith. So therefore, brothers and sisters, don't live... By fear, live by faith. Faith will seek fellowship. It may require wisdom. It will always require faith. How can you be a godly provocateur? That's, I think, the question that God is asking you this morning. How can you be a better godly provocateur? That takes sweetness and seriousness. It takes gladness and gravity. How does God want to use you to inspire others? Do you know that God created you and saved you to be an inspiration? I know that I can be a better inspiration. I believe you can be a better inspiration too. Believers, all your sins have been crushed, cleansed, and covered. But that doesn't give you and I permission to float. But rather it gives us fuel to go forward in faith by fellowship. All your sins, believers, being crushed, cleansed, and covered is not permission just to float through life, but to go forward, even through dangerous and difficult times, by faith, through biblical fellowship. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, some of it is difficult. Lord, we pray that we would be wise but that we would always also have the faith to go through hard times, Lord. Give us faith, give us wisdom. And Lord, we thank you that you love us, that our sin has been covered and cleansed and even uh, crushed, Lord. It's been nailed to the cross, never to come up before us. There is no condemnation in Christ, but may we never float, but always press forward in Christ by faith even through fellowship, Lord. We praise you, we give you the glory. Amen.